Capital Allocators is brought to you by 10 East, an investment platform for sophisticated investors to access private markets. 10 East brings benefits of having your own family office without the cost and headaches of doing so. It's founded and led by Michael LaFell, former deputy executive managing member of Davidson Kempner. Michael and his investment team offer members the opportunity to co-invest by offering at their discretion. Michael and his team source, diligence, and commit material personal capital to each investment. The opportunities shared on the Tennis platform offer exposure to private credit, real estate, niche venture and private equity, and other idiosyncratic investments that typically aren't available through traditional channels. The principals have over a decade track record of investing in these types of exposures across more than 350 transactions. Post-investment, the Tendies team conducts ongoing monitoring and reporting, just as you'd expect from an institutional investment organization. I've known Michael for about a decade, and after becoming impressed by the quality of Tendies offerings, its research process, and high-quality investment team, I became an advisor to the organization and investor in multiple offerings. You can learn more and join me as a member at 10east.co. That's the number 10, east.co. Hi, I hope you're healthy and staying safe. My friends at Prosec Partners reached out with the idea of having a mini-series about some of the issues facing allocators in this novel environment. How are they thinking about risk and opportunities? How are they communicating with managers? And how will they conduct due diligence and push forward? I'm grateful to the very busy professionals who spared time to share their thoughts. And a special thanks to Prosec Partners for sponsoring the series. For more than 20 years, Prosec has been building and protecting brands on behalf of leading financial institutions. To learn more, have a listen to my conversation with Jen Prosec that follows on the feed. I'm Ted Seides, and this is Capital Allocators. This show is an open exploration of the people and process behind capital allocation. Through conversations with leaders in the money game, we learn how these holders of the keys to the kingdom allocate their time and their capital. You can keep up to date by visiting capitalallocatorspodcast.com. My guest on today's show is Tim McCusker, the Chief Investment Officer at consulting powerhouse NEPC, who serves 350 clients with total assets over $1.2 trillion. Tim joined me for the last of our special updates from the field during this unique and challenging period. Our conversation touches on the separation of short-term and long-term strategies, different responses across hospitals, public funds, corporate funds, and private clients, opportunities in credit, the state of private equity, due diligence conducted virtually, and long-lasting changes in workflow. Please enjoy my conversation with Tim McCusker. Tim, great to see you. Great to be here. Or see you. I guess I'm not here. But <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not working that way very much these days. Well, why don't we dive in and start with just how have you been spending your days? Yeah, I mean, we're like most organizations. It was early March, March 12th, I think, that we shifted to a full work from home environment. So I've been 
in the basement every day on the computer grinding away. I've got to make sure I come upstairs a few times a day and get outside for a walk just to see the sun and get the fresh air. But I think so much of my time is spent right now just working with our asset allocation team to set our capital market views and synthesize those, get those out to clients and also get them dispersed throughout our research team. So we've got a consistent view of where we want to be attacking markets right now. And then, of course, sharing that message with clients as well. I guess we should dive in right there. So where do we want to be right now? Yeah, I think the big challenge that we're having in assessing this is how to separate the short-term tactical side of things with the long-term view. I think the long-term view is actually really interesting right now. If you look at We just went through a full rerunning of all of our assumptions, and we've got equity assumptions in the sixes, the sevens, even higher for emerging markets, and then a treasury assumption at 0.6%, right in line with the yield right now. And you run that through, and you see a huge equity risk premium that there is a case for taking beta on right now over a 10-year time horizon. And that's true for credit as well, where sure, again, just like equities, there could be another leg down. But the yield is pretty attractive and should compensate you fairly well for the default cycle that we're likely to go through. That's really interesting over the long term. In the short term, I think it's just really hard to look at things and say, all right, we're moving forward and markets are going up and we're going to buy more when it feels like the market's gotten a little bit ahead of itself and we're more likely to see a snapback in the wrong direction. How much do your clients in the normal course try to seize on the shorter term views compared to your longer term views? Not much. It's definitely much more of a long term focus. When there's volatility like this, it's easy to get caught up in the short term. I think most of our clients are going to access the short term opportunities through managers, whether it's a multi asset manager, a GAA manager, or hedge funds that can be more tactical in this kind of environment. There are times I think the big short-term move that our clients can make and really take advantage of is rebalancing. What a great opportunity if you looked at markets down in mid-March and said, okay, time to get back in. You've really seen a great upswing. And now after the move that we've seen off of that bottom, probably an opportunity to rebalance the other way and and harvest some gains. That's where the short-term can be pretty attractive for our clients. I don't think they're trying to call equities versus fixed income month to month. And we're not advising them to do that. And what have you seen across the breadth of your clients in terms of the range of actions that they may have taken during these last couple of weeks? One segment of our clients that's really interesting and really challenged right now is the healthcare space, where they are at the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. And not only from an operating perspective, where it's all hands on deck from a healthcare perspective but also from a finance and investments perspective where they're looking at making sure they have liquidity. So most of those clients have been less focused on new opportunities, less focused on even rebalancing, just making sure that they have credit lines in place, that they have access to liquidity if they need it. There's so much uncertainty for them that they're focused on just maintaining the day-to-day and less on the investments and looking forward. And then we have other clients that can take a longer view. I think public funds have been doing their typical rebalancing. It's interesting for public funds, those first few weeks of moving into a work from home environment, 
public funds are used to an open meeting aspect and being able to welcome anyone into their meetings to have a voice. And so a lot of them had to cancel their meetings. I think they were able to work in the background. The investment staff was still able to get stuff done, but it was a little bit harder for them to adjust. And then on the private client side, they've probably been doing less, but I think they'll start to do more. They were looking at a lot of gains and were cautious on making moves and rebalancing and realizing some of those gains. But now they probably also have some tax losses to look at. Corporate clients are really interesting because they've seen some of the biggest moves. If they had an LDI allocation, which most of them do, they saw some of the biggest gains from fixed income. And they were probably the earliest to rebalance because rates fell very quickly. And it was actually a positive basis mismatch for them if they had any treasury exposure because their liabilities didn't rise by that much because it's got a credit spread element to it. So they were able to get some of those gains from treasuries and put it back to work in equities. That's, that's probably the place where we've seen the most direct benefit from rebalancing for clients. Yeah, that's terrific. When your clients go to implement, you've got this big manager platform across asset classes. What are the types of opportunities where you've seen managers reaching out, effectively asking for capital and calling for the ball? Yeah, we've seen a few hedge funds, few of our high conviction hedge funds have put together separate opportunities to access some of the things going on in credit. Fortunately, some of that stuff was already starting to come online in February. So we're able to work through some of that and get that in front of clients who already had exposure. And in some cases for clients that didn't have exposure, everyone is looking at the TALF opportunity now. So we've got everything from long only liquid managers and fixed income to distressed managers talking about that. So we're evaluating. There's just a lot coming in front of our plates right now for our public markets credit team and all of our credit hedge funds team. And then our private markets team focused on distressed opportunities. A lot coming in. I think we're going to have some time to evaluate that as quickly as the market moved on the public equity side. We think we've got some time to digest everything coming in there on the distressed and credit opportunity side. And we'll be rolling those out to clients in the coming months. What are you seeing in terms of private equity firms? And you get these periods of time where there may be opportunities, there may be pain to take, and clients have to think about the capital commitments they've made. We're trying to advise clients where they're able to look past any denominator effect they might be seeing in the near term and think about continuing to make those commitments for this year. This could be some of the best opportunities that come along in years for new private market funds. Some clients won't be able to do that. Some clients, the denominator effect will be severe enough that they've got to resize commitments. Even in those cases, we'd like them to be careful about that because that denominator effect does hopefully end up being pretty transient. You work your way out of it over time through repacing year over year and not by making a dramatic move in one year. The really interesting thing will be less about the pacing side for private markets and the marks that come in in the first and second quarter for this year, how severe the markdowns are. Well, we'll see how big of a denominator effect it actually is if some of those private equity funds are conservative in their marks. Have you heard anything as of yet in terms of the pacing of existing commitments getting drawn down? Not much. Our expectation is that calls and distributions will both be lower. I think when we analyzed it, calls and distributions were down by a third to half through the global financial crisis. And that's sort of our base case right now that we can expect at least a third less capital calls 
in this first stretch here, then you'd expect the activity to pick up as opportunities start to emerge. I don't know that we have enough data points at this point to be able to say that's what's happening, but it seems like there's been a little less so far. How's your team going through their typical due diligence process remotely? So we've got heads of public markets, hedge funds, private equity, and real assets. We met as a group and came up with some consistent ways that we'd approach virtual on-sites. We wanted to make sure that we don't think it's any less quality of work, but we wanted to make sure we had a consistent process across our teams. So we said, we've got to do video and we've got to make sure that we get several members of an investment team together at once. I think that's one of the most important parts of going on site. It's not just seeing that they actually have office space and meeting someone face to face. It's seeing how a team engages with one another, who defers to who, who's really driving the room, how they go back and forth. Is it a collaborative environment that they work within or is there just one or two folks who are the alphas in the room? Understanding that can really give you a better sense of how they make decisions and how they drive to investment conclusions. So we want to make sure that we do that, recognizing that whether it's a Zoom call or some other form of video isn't going to capture that fully. We at least have to take our best shot at that. And then we're trying to do some enhanced operational due diligence. Since we can't get on site with managers that we haven't been on site with before, we're having our operational due diligence team do some additional work. We'd be doing operational due diligence anyway, but our team, they focus most of their time on hedge funds. They're bringing those same capabilities, making sure that we're doing background checks on every manager, validating the address, all those things that you sort of take for granted by going on site. We're doing that from an operational perspective as well. And how do you think you'll evolve into trying assess, let's say to a manager that that's under review, but you haven't had clients invested in when so much of that interaction across the team is what you're trying to tease out and it's very different in a virtual world. That's one of the things that we're just going to have to learn by doing. Unfortunately, that's a risk that we have to take on, that we're going to have to bring some of these ideas through. And we have an internal decision-making process for bringing any idea through. If we're just not there, if the conviction isn't there after that video work that we do, then we can't move forward. And so maybe on the margin, a few less ideas come through. And I think that's okay right now. We've got to still hold ourselves to a really high bar. If we feel like we can be really effective doing it, maybe over time, it means we're traveling a little less, especially when it's a manager that we know already and have gotten to work with in the past. Maybe we don't have to go on site as often as we usually do. Do you think that the pacing of your due diligence and on-ramping of new investment opportunities will be roughly the same? I actually think it'll be slow right now and right now being the next one to three months, call it. And then I think it's going to ramp up like crazy. One, it'll be a little bit of a backlog. And two, what we were talking about earlier, some of those credit opportunities are going to be coming online. Distressed opportunities are going to be really interesting. I think there's going to be a lot to do in the private debt space, distressed existing credit opportunities that we are going to be cycling a lot of stuff through. And we saw that in 2008 into 2009, from a credit ops perspective, we were just running so many things through because you want to attack it across the liquidity spectrum, both for any given client that's building a diversified portfolio, but also for the various clients that we have, they're going to have different risk return requirements and different risk tolerances. 
and they've got to have different ways to access the opportunity set. As you went through the last financial crisis, there were certain things, particularly in the hedge fund space, that people scrutinized about whether it was gates and liquidity provisions. And this time around, it may be different. Are there any lenses that you're reviewing your public or private managers through created by this time that will inform how you think about them going forward? One that's starting to come up that we've gotten a few questions about, we haven't done an exhaustive survey on, but we have done kind of a spot check survey, is managers that are using the Small Business Administration loan program. There's some managers where that's going to be an appropriate course of action for them, and it's going to allow them to survive. For a lot of well-established, well-capitalized managers, that's not an appropriate use of that pool of capital. And in some ways, they're taking from small businesses on Main Street that can really deserve it. And I believe that list is going to be made publicly available. And so we'll be viewing that. And I imagine most of our peers in the consultant community and other asset allocators will be viewing that negatively if we're seeing a brand name manager that happens to be below, I forget what the number is, below 2,000 employees or whatever, maybe 10,000 employees, whatever the number is, they just happen to meet the qualifications. And so they're using it to be able to write off some payroll. That's going to be viewed very negatively. What positive surprises have you seen from this period of time? One internal one that has been great is just, this is a big adjustment for everybody. (laughs) None, None of us have ever had to work from home for this period of time, have our kids at home and, and deal with all of that. And just how positive everyone has been internally taking on this adjustment, dealing with the technology parts of working from home. That's been pretty seamless for us. Dealing with the different types of communication, just the positive attitude with which everyone embraced this has been awesome because it would be easy to get negative and complain about it. And then I imagine we're probably behind on this a little bit. I don't know within the asset management industry, but I know a lot of folks embraced it before us. We always had video capabilities. We hardly ever used it. We've got folks in eight different offices and you just pick up the phone and call. It was very traditional. And now we're using that video all the time and it does make for a more engaging experience. And that's been a real positive surprise for me that as I'm working alone here in my basement, I can have that human interconnection with my colleagues a lot more. These periods of time also, there are always stories that come out of this that we'll chuckle about after the fact. Are there any that are popping into your head? Yeah, I have one. It was very early on. We were still in the office. There was no pandemic playbook, right? We didn't have a policy for it. So a first step for us was to restrict in-person meetings in the office, and especially folks coming from Europe, the UK, China, etc. And so we had someone call up and say, are you restricting meetings, in-person meetings because of coronavirus? And our receptionist said, yes. And this person said, well, I'd like to do a call instead with your real assets team and sent our receptionist scrambling, trying to figure out who this person was actually meeting with. Turns out there was no meeting scheduled at all. This guy was just like opportunistically trying to get a call (laughs) because of coronavirus. So I respect his determination, but not the best way to get in our good graces, probably. (sighs) How do you see the way you'll work going forward, other than maybe using this video a little bit more once this all hopefully flows through in the not too distant future. I've heard some folks say that we're going to be traveling a lot less and I can see it on the due diligence side on the margin that maybe we'll take a few less trips. I think when this all settles down, 
our clients are going to want to see us and we're going to want to see our clients. I could see us out on the road a lot. And while we'll be hesitant to take on global travel very early on in this process, we're going to want to be out there finding ideas in Europe, in Asia. We're going to be doing trips to China again. While some are saying this is a breakthrough and we're going to be a lot more flexible working from home, I think we're going to go back to normal pretty quickly and we're going to be road warriors once again. So it's actually, I'm not answering the question of what will change. I think the contrarian opinion will be less will change than we think from a travel perspective. How much have you heard about and thought about what your competitors are doing now? We haven't focused that much on that. That may be one of the things that we lose by not having the in-person meetings in the office. I think that can often be part of the conversation at the beginning or end of a manager meeting, kind of the casual chit-chat of, hey, what are you hearing from other consulting firms? What are they doing? What are they asking you? And you hop on the video call, you, you know, there's a little bit of chit-chat, but I don't think we're getting into that as much. So it hasn't been as big of a focus for us. We've just been so laser-focused and trying to figure out what's going on in the markets that it's been less about what others are doing. I'd expect they're following the same kind of discipline of recommending that their clients rebalance and they're going to be start looking at a lot of those same credit opportunities and we're going to do our best to find the very best ones. Great. Well, Tim, really appreciate you carving out a little time to chat. Definitely. Happy to do it and stay safe and healthy. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found a nugget or two to take away and apply in your investing and your life. If you'd like what you heard, please tell a friend and maybe even write a review on iTunes. You'll help others discover the show, and I thank you for it. Have a good one, and see you next time.